All right. It is Saturday, the 9th of April, 2016. And, you know, we've got different music rising up there in the background. Oh, yeah! It's new, and it, it, it signifies a new day is done out with the old and in with the new. And we always do the number at this point. So I want to welcome everybody to Wire Rap Rap number... One! Number one, the first one, a new day is gone. Yeah. We turn the page. Listen to that, turning the page. Yeah. Moving on. Modernity. Progress, my friends. Yes. Here we are. Yes. <laughs> Got him. Yeah, we did. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> yes, we, uh, you know, people, I think there are some people out there who might be a little bit upset or bitter about what went on on the 1st of April. Let's make it clear. This is not the Wire Rap Rap podcast. This is Solder Smoke podcast number 186. 186. There was some, I get confused on the number thing, but 186. This is indeed the 186th Solder Smoke podcast. No, we are not going to change the name of this show <laughs> to Wire Rap Rap. What were you guys thinking? <laughs> I mean, every year I believe that we've hit the, the absolute depths of gullibility on the part of some of our listeners, but every year I'm proven wrong. Yeah. Every year we come up, you know, it's, it gets harder to do these things because okay. you start running out of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to do technological stuff because everything that you predict is impossible turns out next year to be yeah. on the market. Scary. But but we are, we are a, we had a lot of fun with the April 1 thing this year. And I think we learned a lot, Pete. You, you better back up for somebody who just joined the podcast. What you do yearly with with April Fool? Oh, <clears throat> this is this is part of an old ham radio tradition. I'm not just doing this for myself. Right. I'm not just doing this for my own sadistic pleasure. No, <laughs> no. I am participating in an old tradition. I think it really started in QST magazine. I, I think QST. you're right. Going back to the 30s, I think that they would have articles in there. It would be some wacky technological innovation. I remember one year they had antennas where the elements were laser beams that shot off the end. And you could just select the frequency and the laser beams would shoot out. And then the signal would be carried on the laser beam. And it was fantastic. Way too fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except we do it today. Go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we, we, we have done them over the years. We've had some fun. One year we... One year we announced that, that the state of New Jersey had banned the use of soldering irons in the home. That was a lot of fun. HR, New Jersey HR Resolution 232. Yeah. <laughs> people, wrote, people wrote to the governor of New Jersey. Then there was the year that we, uh, we announced that the Solder Smoke book was going to be on the Oprah Book Club. That was good. Guys told their wives, listen, honey, tell me when, you know, when, when Bill Mara and Solder Smoke Book are going to be on Oprah. And the wife looked at him like, what are you, nuts? <laughs> Oprah's, Oprah's not going to have Solder Smoke. Remember the cologne? Oh, yeah. Cologne. Ooh, de Solder. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. People are still looking for that one on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, so we've had fun over the years. And this year, we were having a tough time. So we went with a, a theme. You know, last year we announced our, our new sponsor, Homebrew for You from Shenyang, China. And um, we know, and then so this one was sort of like this, but you know, we know people have been getting suspicious about us becoming more and more digital. Ooh. Mostly you. Ooh, yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. <laughs> you're the you're the lead suspect. In it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, me too. And so we we decided that we were just gonna uh, you know 
go the full Monty and announce that it was time to break with the past. Enough of those nasty, smoky soldering irons. And we were going to go with wire wrap because wire wrap is that new technology. It was kind of old, but it's used in computers. It's very digital where you don't have to know how to solder. You don't have to solder. There's no smoke, nothing to burn your fingers, no fumes, no solder smoke. Very clean, very modern, very digital. So wire wrap. And then we said wrap because this is part of our effort to lure in those yeah. moneyed maker millennials. Yes. Ooh. There, was a, there was a hint that there was a kind of a sponsorship deal. Because people are always suspicious that we're in this for the filthy lucre. You know that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's big bucks in this, you know, podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You could make, you know, you know, every year you could make, you know, dozens of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Right. I'm, still anyway, wait, I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> the ship is coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, let's see. I want to say um, we, had, we had some really great reactions. And, well, I mean, and some not really yeah, great yeah. It's some really hostile reactions. We got, there, you know, I, I did not have to inform the authorities. None of them quite got that bad. But there were some borderline upset people out there who took it for real. I, my favorite part, though, Pete, was that in the comments section below the, uh, the, the announcement of the change, the major change in the podcast, and we had some co-conspirators. A number of people had days before spread rumors through the internet that this change was in the offing. Some suspected that you and I were no longer going to be in partnership. Yeah, that was yeah. that really got people upset. <laughs> but anyway, uh, <laughs> um, with some of the reactions I had to go through and I had to kind of take out the um, happy, the April fool's day thing. When people said, ha ha April fools in the comment, because that would spoil it. Yeah. All, they would, it would, it would deny latecomers the, the pleasure of being bamboozled by the solder smoke podcast in wire wrap wrap. So I, I took those out and then people started looking at the comments section and there were a number of guys said, Hey, how come Bill is taking down all the comments that he doesn't like? And then somebody else wrote, he must be taking down the really angry ones. I think people should be allowed to see the anger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, we came up with a scoring scheme. If you guys haven't seen it, I think on April 3rd or so, we, we put up a, a special scoring blog post. The, the, whole, the, the whole scam was launched on the blog. So if you go to the blog for April 1st, you'll see what happened. And then on April 3rd, we came up with a scoring mechanism in which you can, by using this simple device, gauge your own gullibility on this area. Some people, you could score as high as 50 points. And uh, if you didn't fall for it at all, you get like a negative five. But uh, I want to share with, uh, with the readers or the listeners, uh, Pete, some of the more interesting reactions. Uh, these were ones that we did not have to remove from the uh, from the, the comments section. Uh, Corey Klumper wrote on April 1st, Finally, we can all experience the joy of compilation as we see completed without errors. That's a new one. That's joy of oscillation. I know what you're saying, Corey, the joy of compilation. Yeah. Yes. Rich wrote in, uh, in light of your announcement, I offer my services to remove all the offending valve thermionic items from your shack and perform an exorcism of the hollow state spirits present. <laughs> Very noble of you there, Rich. Um, John D. writes, um, This is fantastic news. Finally, you are willing to admit that appliance, appliance operation is the way to go. <laughs> Thank you, John. Um, 
Harold Hall writes, and this is one of the more emphatic messages that we received, Bill, you have lost your ever-loving mind. <laughs> Glad I've downloaded all the previous editions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ken, Kenneth Watson writes on April 1st, I too have taken a bite, B-Y-T-E, get it, taken a bite of the apple pie, ha good one, Kenneth, and have fallen asleep under its curse. I think only a kiss from a biological entity with a true analog soul will allow me to recover. Forget it, Ken, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck to you, Bill and Pete. May your lives continue as binary adherents. I think the scientists call that bipolar personality. <laughs> hey, you know, there's some really clever thoughts in those comments. I mean, those, oh, those, yeah, those, yeah, those, yeah, yeah. Here's another very kind of, um, in Spanish, we'd say a squit, but right, really kind of just in the uh, very kind of pithy. Mark Kessner writes on April 1st, Bill, you're scaring me. <laughs> <laughs> Never fear, Mark. It's all, all game. We also talked about, you know, one of the things that should have been a giveaway, and I think this is where, where people did get turned around and brought closer to credulity, yeah. was we talked about how we're going to embrace the new digital modes. <laughs> Some, you know, and there's the familiar ones. There's PSK, there's Piccolo, there's Opera. But I let people know that we're also going to be exploring some of the new ones. There's Whisper, for example. But have you heard about Snicker? Uh, it's related to Whisper. But it's different. Snicker. And then also we talked about the, some of the new modes like Oreo. Yeah. And my favorite, oregano. I can't wait to decode oregano. <laughs> and so for this reason, John writes, I wonder if Snicker performs better than Whisper. I'll Google for the software now. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, be sure you download your Snicker, Oreo, and oregano. They're great modes. Um, and then, oh, this, was, this is from an important person. Um, Steve Smith, he says, I hope I can make it through today without breaking down. This was obviously hard on Steve. Uh, I guess this change is appropriate since I have, ta- I have gone and taken the plunge and gone DMR here in, the, in beautiful Baja Oxnard. But what am I going to do with my handle? You know, he was Steve Snort Rosin Smith. You know, I, I just think of him that way. You know, he's Steve, as if he was you know, born Steve Snort Rosin Smith. So he's got to come up with something to replace Snort Rosin, obviously. So he's thinking it's, uh, will, will, will Crunch Digits be, be a good replacement? Crunch Digits? It just doesn't have that ring. 7-3, Steve, WB6TNL, formerly Snort Rosin. Snort Rosin is back, Steve. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But By the he, way, I didn't realize this. He, he lives about 18 miles from me, just over the hill. <laughs> really <laughs> close. The radio gods have spoken. Yeah, yeah. Giuliano, you need to get in touch with Steve yeah. and get back to your analog roots. Yeah, there you go. There you go. You're, you're, you're going to have to do some some, some sort of a digi exorcism. <laughs> there you there. go. Look at the Ken, Ken guy out there and get you back <laughs> on the path of righteousness. And finally, Tim Analog Sprouse. There's a good middle name, Analog Sprouse. Tim Analog Sprouse. This is like names for the mafia, like, you know, Joey the Fish. Joey the Fish, yeah. <laughs> Tim Analog Sprouse writes... Aw, crap. Now I'm going to have to unsolder all the projects I have already started and rewrap all of the connections. I'm so depressed. I always knew this digital crap would be the end of me. Digital is so bipolar. Basta! Basta! There you go. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Thanks for everybody who participated. Um, I, I, I think anybody who's contacted uh, attorneys or, or a hitman or anything else, just call it off. It's all in good fun. And we did recommend um, anger management training yeah, for a yeah. couple of the more yeah. upset. Bill, you were sharing something with me that this was the single biggest posting on, on the blog where you got the most comments was it was it, well it was the most comments yeah i mean we we've never had more comments than this there were you know and that was an, and i used that as part of the scoring <laughs> people people weren't suddenly just you know captured by intellectual curiosity they were all going to the comment section to confirm <laughs> that it was april fools i mean i mean what were they thinking were they thinking that they really might be snicker and oreo yeah yeah we also announced that we were going to get into contesting Automatic contesting. We also announced that we were going to get into radio and smartphones and that you could get rid of all that dusty junk in your house yeah. and replace it all with a few lines of code. We told people that they could turn the shack room over to their wives so that she could turn it into you know, a yoga room or, or a knitting room. And they still had to go to the comment section <laughs> on April 1st to see if we were kidding. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Brilliant. Just brilliant. We got messages of congratulation. There were guys who wrote to us and said, good move. Yeah, time, <laughs> time to go. There we go. Yeah. Looking forward to more raspberry yeah, pie. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was a lot of fun. We'll have to think of something next year. Ooh. Yeah. Well, they're going to be watching for you, Bill. <laughs> oh, no, they... <laughs> All right, Steve. Time for uh, Steve. I'm thinking of Steve Smith. Uh, Pete. Time for bench reports. Oh, yeah, bench reports. What do you got? What's on the bench out there on the left coast? Well, Let me guess. <laughs> Go ahead, guess. Is it a raspberry yeah, pie? it's a raspberry pie. <laughs> you got it. Hey, All right, but this is for real, guys. This is now, this is real. This is real, yeah. But before I do that, I, I wanted to talk once again about what a small world we live in, okay? And this has to do with the raspberry pie. And uh, I, I posted some videos, and, and a, a longtime listener uh, to um, <clears throat> Solder Smoke, uh, Mike, in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, WA3O, sent me an email saying, hey, I'm working on this thing. Uh, you got any, you know, anything you can help me with? So he just gave his call sign, and I looked up because it has a three in it, and I originally had a three call. I discovered he lives in a town that's about... 20 miles from Pittsburgh, and I lived in a town 20 miles from Pittsburgh, and it was just that I was north, and he was more east. So anyway, I said, oh, yeah, you live in Monroeville, the home of the Miracle Mile, because this brought back memories when I was a kind of a brand-new ham, brand-new general, and the Miracle Mile is a shopping center. In the late 1950s, this was a huge, major regional shopping center located in Monroeville, and they called it the Miracle Mile because it was a mile long and they had all these stores. Well, as young people and a young ham and myself and a couple of others, young hams, had mobile rigs. We had Heathkit tenors. Remember the Heathkit lunchbox tenor? Yeah. And we had it mobile. And we used to cruise the Miracle Mile in hope of a miracle of meeting a young girl. <laughs> who, would be, who would be impressed by your, yeah, your Heathkit yeah. tenor? I, I said... I have fond memories of them. Chicks dig, chicks dig it. Yeah, I have. Now they got cell phones, you know. But but at that time, we had 10 meters, and we were using 10 meters. One would go to the Bob's Big Boy. Someone would go to everywhere else. Wait, what, what was the line, Pete? You know, hey, baby, super hey, regeneration. 
it was one of those CV whips, you know, that went went back and forth. Oh God, that was. I, I said, Mike. <laughs> Mike. His name is Mike. I said, Mike, this is this is so great that I said, Oh yeah, he said the Miracle Mile's still there. He said, But I'm not so sure they cruise. <laughs> you know, like you. <laughs> not with tenors. <laughs> not with tenors. So, no Benton Harbor lunchboxes yeah, out there making scene. I remember I had to mount it upside down because that's the only way I could get to the lever switch while driving. <laughs> oh, man. That's, that, that's a clutch. There you go. Clutch. Clutch. Kludge. Clutch. <laughs> but it, it's just what a connection. You know, suddenly you meet this person and you go you go way back. And then Mike and I have exchanged quite a few emails. Uh, and he's got his Raspberry Pi working. And by the way, Mike, uh, he I think he, he was involved with the HW7 that you got. Oh, yeah, I have it sitting right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, he... Oh, he's the guy who sent me the HW7. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, thanks, Mike. Yeah. Again, it's great. He's I still the, have it he, here. He is a real avid builder, and he, he's got a lot of these current kits that you build, a lot of SDR. And matter of fact, I'm surprised to find out there are so many SDR kit radios out now. It, it's hard to believe, and a lot of people are jumping into that. So, it's kind, kind of nice because... It's kind of hard to homebrew one of these if you're just starting out. It's you you can do the kit. So there's there's even some very sophisticated ones that Mike shared with me. Uh, there's a company in England has this SDR kit, and the display is not just you know showing the waterfall. It's got all the data, the frequencies. I sent you a link on that. I mean, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, and I'm saying, wow. <laughs> of course, it's got a, a you know fairly hefty price tag on it, but I did want to say. Uh, you know that it's so nice to get linked with someone from the old country, <laughs> you know, Western Pennsylvania, and so uh, it brought back a flood of memories. So it, this is what's so nice about the hobby, Bill. You run into people and you find this connection, and and it takes you way back. I was thinking about cruising the Miracle Mile. We kept hoping for a miracle, <laughs> and it never <laughs> came to pass. But anyway, Mike, thank you. And uh, we were talking about a a restaurant chain. It's in the uh, local Pittsburgh area. As a matter of fact, there's a couple down in um, Florida, and it's called Promonte Brothers. And they started out down in the produce district where they had all these truckers, and they started making these Promonte sandwiches. And you never lived till you had a Promonte sandwich. So in yesterday's mail, I got a T-shirt <laughs> from Mike that says, you know, Promonte Brothers. So he says, hey, you got a little something from the old country. So it was really nice. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. And it was it was great, great fun to get caught up in the past. But let's talk about the, the Raspberry Pi. I now have a <clears throat> a Softrock uh, V63 operating with a Pi 3. And uh, thanks to our friend Tom in New York, AK2B. Tom Hall. Tom Hall, yeah. Thanks to him. He sent, the Wizard of Manhattan Island. Yeah, he sent me a, he had an extra, what's called a Motorola, Motorola lap dock, Atrix 4G. This upsets some people, by the way. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this this device was intended for one of their 4G phones. As you could essentially plug the phone into the back of the laptop, and you had a computer. Well, this this particular laptop works directly with the Raspberry Pi. So now you got a keyboard, mouse, a little nice display, and and these things are really getting compact. Of course, they got a built-in battery. So if you're looking for portable operation. Uh, this is really great because you just get a small gel cell to run everything else, and the laptop's got its own power supply. So I see lots and lots of opportunities. I'm enjoying doing that, and and it's filling the void, Bill, because I, I just don't have time to solder. I mean, yeah. my time commitments are such. 
Uh, I mean, you when you start starting stuff together, <clears throat> I, one thing I learned a long time ago: just don't slap it together. <laughs> You're gonna have a yeah. problem. You got to yeah. take your time, and you got to exercise a little thought. And it's just that time is just not available. Whereas this is kind of plug in the boxes and make things work. So it's an opportunity to get on the air and and with something and and do a little development work. But more and more kits are available. Um, not so much total homebrew. Uh, it does represent a significant switch from working with discrete components to more of the black boxes. But on the other hand, if it's going to get more people into the hobby, and then they say, gee, I want something more, and then actually really homebrew, scratch build something, that's got to be a good thing. I mean, yeah. if, if, you can, if you can get, if that's your entry, and lets you get into the hobby and see, and then say, I want something more. And we frequently hear from people... Don't we that say, hey, you know, I finally decided I wanted to build something. Yeah. And so and that's he, not all bad, you know. No, 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 no. I, no. And you, and you can do some amazing cool stuff. I mean, and the Raspberry Pi rig that you put together, the you got a whole SDR rig running inside that little thing, yeah, right? Yeah, So well, tell us about that. What, what? Tell us about the SDR rig. Okay. Uh, the Softrock uh, B63 uh, is a kit that's been around since uh, about 2010. Maybe even a little earlier than that. But you need to have a whole computer to run this thing. So typically you had this little rig. It's a little fit in the palm of your hand, but you got this big computer you got it hooked up to. And typically even a laptop wouldn't work with it because you need to have a separate sound card. So this, this was an issue that with a laptop you needed big sound card and how do you hook this how do you power it up and there weren't there wasn't a lot of hardware available so now the little raspberry pi has enough compute power that can do all the number crunching to enable you to do the fast fourier transforms the display uh to do the signal processing so in a small thing that fits in the palm of your hand this this replaces the big box with the big laptop you still need a, a second sound card but now they have these usb sound cards that are totally ama amazing It'll fit in the palm of your hand. So you got the Raspberry Pi, a small little sound card, the soft rock, and a display. And you're all set to go. As a matter of fact, I have a 5-inch uh, HDMI display that will plug, plug into that. So, I mean, this thing is really getting small. Except the information that is displayed on the 5-inch is just so much that it spills over the side. So you can't see everything that you need to, to see. But, I mean, the 7-inch will work better than the 5. So you the stuff is getting smaller, much more compact. Plug in the plug in the cables, and you're ready to go. So uh, I, I'm very impressed. The Raspberry Pi 3 is a quad-core processor operating at 1.2 gigahertz, has one gig of RAM on it. Uh, I was in the computer but I had a computer company. I was building computers about 15, 20 years ago. A machine like that, just with that capability, was about seven, eight hundred bucks. It's now thirty-five dollars. So, I mean, you, your things are really getting small. Five bolts in, a few wires in. It's got four USB ports. It's got built-in Wi-Fi. It's got Bluetooth. I mean, all the things that you'd want to have, it's in a $35 board. It's amazing. Yeah. So You still you still have it out on the on the bench the way we like yeah, it, right? It's yeah, all, like, yeah. wired up and everything oh, else. Yeah. So it's got that, it's got that, uh, that down-home homebrew feel. Oh, yeah, it. cables all over the place. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And you're on the air with this thing. Yeah. That's the amazing. Thing. You're not and transmitting and receiving. You're making contact. Oh with yeah! It. As a matter of fact, the other day, this is this really gets back to a QRP. Uh, 
although I can run 500 watts with it. I've got it rigged up. You can do that. But QRP running one watt, there was a guy in southern Nevada at 7,500 feet. He was running a Yesu FT817. He was calling CQ. I called him on one watt. He came back to me, and so I said, okay, we're having a two-way QRP contact. So he said, let me crank the power down to a half a watt. So here we are, about a 350-mile distance. He's running a half a watt. I'm running one watt. He's up at 7,500 feet, just like I'm talking to you here, Bill. So it's, right. it's amazing. So you can make contacts, and I've made about, oh, maybe – 10 or 20 contacts QRP and some of them on 15 meters. So that's the other nice thing. Some on 15, some on 20. So you you have the ability with not a lot of power, not a lot of hardware, and not a lot of money. I mean, the, the if you can get a hold of the soft rock, well, you can. The ensemble kit's about $75 right now, and Raspberry Pi is 35 and the lap dock you can get for about 90 bucks. So, you know, for less than $200... You can have the waterfalls and the displays and all the other things that, that everybody's talking talking about. But, but, you know, I'm thinking there might be even a, a cheaper way to do this. If you, you could take one of those dongles, right, and plug the dongle right into the, the, uh, the SDR where you're doing all the digital signal processing and, uh, and just use the, the dongle sort of as a, a, an analog to digital converter and then right. just run it that way so you wouldn't that would, could replace the whole soft rock ensemble right well it'll it, on receive, receive anyway just but on receive. there is a guy that did do the raspberry pi on transmit yeah so with a little more work i think you can make have the raspberry pi do the transmit part and you can have the dongle do the receive part that's probably someone's working on it right now in their garage oh yeah and listen, I, I really liked how you told me told me that that you had worked a guy with this this new rig who was running uh, Collins. Right. This Collins this gear. is this is there's a lot of guys that hang out at certain frequencies on on 40 meters, and I was just tuning around listening, and he was talking about the new rig that he got, and he was saying, yeah, I just got a Collins KWM2. He said I have uh, I have a lot of you know Yesus and Icoms. He said I got this, and he said I got it working. He said. I'm totally amazed. And he was, he said, I had some questions about uh, certain things on the Collins. So I thought I'd give him a I'd break him and try to answer his questions, mainly because I have a KWM2 and mainly because <laughs> some of the questions he was asking, I, I had experience. First of, you might be surprised to know that the Collins in their PTO do not use any regulated voltage on, on the PTO oscillator. They're that good. They're that good. There's no regulated, trust me, there's no regulated voltage. And if you got a, a queasy feeling about wanting to do that, uh, the Collins Collectors Association has a has a website with all these mods, and it's real easy to add a 150-volt zener. So I said, go look at that, and it'll show you how to do it. The other thing, too, is the KWM2s versus the M2As did not have a really good AGC circuit in it. Man, that S meter bounced around all over the place. And when they built the M2As, <clears throat> they they did incorporate the AGC, which really smoothed things out. takes takes all the pumping out. It used to have to crank the RF game back way back, and that that was by design because that's how they used to work things before there was AGC. So you can mod the KWM2 uh, to uh, to be like the M2A with the AGC, and, and boy, it really smooths things out. And and I wrote a paper on that, and it's on my website. So I said I'll send you the link, and it tells you how to do it. So he uh, he said, oh, yeah, he said, I am really impressed. And he said, although 
some guy with a flex radio <laughs> the other day said, God, he said, your bandwidth is only 300 to 2.1 kilohertz. And I said, yeah, <laughs> that's the mechanical filter in there. I mean, it, it, there was this expectation. He was looking at him. He said, you're only 300 to 2.1. It doesn't go down to 200. And he said, I, I'd like to hear those real lows in there. And I'd like to hear those real highs, you know, like three kilohertz, zero to three kilohertz. Because, Pete, they are enhanced. Yes, yes. But he said, I really like it. He said, it's got really good selectivity. And I said, how about the audio? He said, the audio is amazing. He said, you'll listen to the audio on the solid-state rigs, and you listen to the audio. And the um, I think the audio tube is a 6EB8 that they use. In the You're coming back, my friend. You're coming back. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank God. And then he says, I can actually work on this thing. He said, you know, he said, I can test the tubes. He said, there's parts in there. There's parts, parts. There's parts in there. He said, With wires he on said them. you know, if there's a, and he said, if there's a, you know, a bad capacitor, I can replace it. And I said, yeah, you could do that. I said, except you got to be really careful because if you've ever worked on a KWM2 or KWM2A, you turn that over and there's a lot of parts in there. And you have really got to be careful with a soldering iron, you, you know, trying to get something out. So I, I learned a long time ago, use aluminum foil. Put, line, line everything around the part you want to take out with aluminum foil. This way oh, we, that's a great tip. Yeah. So, so I mean, yeah. aluminum foil works great because then it keeps the heat away and it prevents you from burning wires and things like that. Oh, I, no, I, I did it. I did it once, and and then after that, I said, "Hey, aluminum foil." So it works at nice because you can, you know, break little pieces off, and then just kind of build an aluminum foil dam <laughs> dam around the. But you got to remember. Take, to take them out. out. Yeah, take them out. You don't want to be like the doctor who leaves the sponges. Yeah, in there, yeah, you know? take them out. But anyway, he he's on the air with this every day. I mean, he has a choice of rigs, and he says, "I am really enjoying this. This this really sounds good." And I said, "Yeah, you're you're you'll find that to be the case. The only thing that you got a problem with is you got to tune, dip, and load. <laughs> you know, you you know the days of old. It's not but just plug." turn on the radio you got you got but that 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 adds an element of excitement oh, yeah. when, I, when i when i do that with the dx100 i realize that i'm always about 15 or 20 seconds away from blowing the whole thing up <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to move fast yeah <laughs> don't mess around and, and you know a set of replacement tubes uh, today for the finals that most of the other ones are you know you can find those are pretty reasonably priced but the pair of match 6146s that work on the collins you're gonna pay about 100 bucks for those but I, but I really like the story of Cuso here because here you are with the Raspberry yeah. Pi SDR Ensemble Soft Rock Digiradio, and on the other end, there's this guy with the Collins KWM2, and then you, I mean, you you built the solid state equivalent of this yeah. thing, your KWM4. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I had a I had a Collins California Cuso too. I want to tell you, I just I'll just mention it briefly, but I I fired up on 17 uh, a couple weeks ago. And there was a guy on the air from uh, from Coronado Island in San Diego. Beautiful place. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I called him. There was something. You know, sometimes you just hear you hear the call sign, you hear the voice, you hear the sound of the signal. There's some, there was something special there. I didn't know what it was. He was running Collins Gold Dust Twins <gasps> before the KWM two, right? Yeah. Yeah. He said. It's the only rig he runs. It's the only rig he has in his shack, and he's on the air with it every day. So we have to we have to remember that amidst all this modernity and all these glowing numerals and uh, and and menus and all that, there are out there 
some of the old rigs, and it's really fun when you when you run into them. So, uh, and it's it's nice when you you know you could you know on one in one QSO you have you know sixty years of technology uh, spanning the the continent there. So it's really kind of fun. By the way, there's a really interesting story about the Colos twins, and for those who don't know, that's the receiver is a seventy five A four. That, that's the receiving part, and the other transmitter part is a KWS-1. So it was a high-powered transmitter and this really superb receiver. And the only problem that you have with uh, the Golos, Golos twins is the frequency moves a little bit. There, there's a Collins collector's net, and there's quite a few guys that got them on there, and they'll move a little bit. Well, well you know, I have, yeah, you know this is 60-year-old stuff, and so a lot has changed. There's a great guy here, by the way, that I, I talked to on 40 meter AM uh, with my DX100. I think the call is W3CCA, yeah, and it's Collins Collectors it's, Association. It's a, yeah, and he he runs their lab and workshop. Yeah, and so it, it, what a what a cool guy to talk to. I, I wish I remember the name, but but he's really a great guy to talk to. And every time I talk to him, he's working on something on the bench, and it's just yeah. I mean, you, you could almost smell <laughs> the solder smoke. Heat. You know, there's an interesting story about two hams that had a lot to do with that, the 75A4 and the KWS1. And the two guys' names are Art Collins and the other one is Curtis LeMay. Heard of him. Yeah, Curtis LeMay. He <laughs> wanted a communication system for the Air Force. He yeah. wanted a long-range communication system. So being a ham, many of you people don't know that, Curtis LeMay was a ham. He gets with Collins and guess what? <laughs> this yeah. is why we, have, we had the you know, the, the commercial version uh, finally being the 75S3 and 32S3 and KWM2A and KWM380, you know, it started with with filling a need in, in, yeah. in military communications. You know, the, the Collins, the Goldust Twin transmitter, and some of the subsequent Collins equipment had a kind of an unusual mode. And I was talking to a guy who was on the air with this thing, and he was kind of confusing people. Because you could set the transmitter so that it will transmit single sideband, upper sideband, but with the carrier. So you're putting out both the carrier and the upper sideband. You're, 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 not, you're not transmitting the lower sideband. And so this was popular, I think, especially in the early days. And it might have been because they were concerned that hams wouldn't know how to tune in a sideband signal. It was thought that the, the, the oscillators and the BFOs were, were nowhere near stable enough. And also, a lot of guys just wouldn't know how to do it. But if you take an AM receiver and you tune in a signal like that, you just tune it, and all of a sudden you're hearing it. It's okay. But uh, I think that's just sort of an optional, optional mode. Yeah. Well, it, I did hear it on the air though a couple, a couple weeks ago. I mean, it's a tremendous signal. Of course, they used a little wider filter than than yeah. later on. I think they might have had three kilohertz filters in there for sideband, and uh, so it's going to sound pretty good. <laughs> it's going to sound really enhanced. Enhance. 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 There you go. All right. Well, it's you know, you know, I think what you said about you know, what you do when you don't have a lot of time, it's important because all of us go through periods in which we're busy with work responsibilities or family responsibilities. And, you know, like the amateur code said, that stuff comes first, right? So it's important when you're in one of those time periods that you pick, you got to choose your battles. You know, you got to pick yeah. the project. You know that in in I think in, in popular uh, wireless uh, George Dobbs he liked projects that were kind of one and done things that you could do in one sitting or one evening or one weekend and get it done and I I've kind of been in that mode I'm I'm not nearly as busy as you are but it's been it's been kind of a busy period here 
Uh, Billy's getting ready to, to go off to college. Unbelievable as that seems, but we're in, in that process. A lot of stuff going on. So I, I have no major projects. I guess we're shifting now. Is it my time for my bench yes, report now? Yes, yours. Uh, that's right. All right. And it's very complimentary because I want to talk about filters here too but uh, and mechanical filters. But I, I've been kind of busy. So what I'm doing is I, I go through this every once in a while. I'll pull off an old rig, something that needs to be fixed, something that wasn't quite finished, something that needs to be modified. And I in this, I, I was motivated powerfully by Grayson Evans over there in Ankara, Turkey, by um, a fellow named uh, uh, John Jan in uh, let's see where is he? Hold on, Netherlands, right? PA three GSV in the Netherlands, and mostly by Ashar Farhan in Hyderabad, India. Because uh, we'll talk about this in a minute, but Farhan was interviewed by our friend Eric, 4Z1UG, on the QSO Today podcast last Sunday. And I'm telling you, this was a motive. It was like it was like he was a ham radio motivational speaker. He was like, I don't know, Tim Robbins or Deepak Chopra or something. I got like fired up. I was just listening to him. I, even though I had the pause button here and I could hit the pause button, go get a cup of coffee, I couldn't do it. I sat there. My coffee got cold because I couldn't stop listening to what Farhan was saying. To the, to the truth that he was putting out about home brewing. Anyway, and then the other thing was, he kept talking about the joy of firing up a home brew receiver and all this other stuff. And I said, I couldn't resist. While, while I was listening to him, I reached over on the shelf and I pulled down the, 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 the nearest home brew receiver that I had. And I'm, I'm reaching out. He can see me on the screen. And it's the uh, Lou McCoy's Made for the Mighty Midget Receiver, three 6U8 tubes. I think he wrote the article around 1965. I built it around 1998, single conversion super hat for 80 and 40, and it uh, and it has um, you know a 455 kc IF, um, really really good stuff. So um, anyway, this is the uh, um, what I started working on, and just I've had so much fun with it. it and and here's one thing I discovered. Um, I had trouble getting the 455KC homebrew lattice, half-lattice filter that Lou McCoy had in his original design because it's really hard to find 455KC crystals. So for a while, I just substituted a 455KC IF transformer, which left it broad as a barn door. But I picked up somewhere along the line, probably on eBay, this 455KC crystal filter from Toyo Electronics in Japan, manufactured around 1969. And it's called the CM455. And I, I never really used it. I put it in there, but I did kind of a kind of a slapdash, kludge kind of installation. Kludge. <laughs> kludge. Anyway, uh, you know what I'm talking about. And, and it wasn't really ever really working right. So motivated by Farhan, by Grayson, and by a question from Jan, because Jan was working on a similar receiver. I said, all right, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to get more information about this filter. And I'm going to install it properly. I'm going to get this thing to sound good. And um, anyway, um, I start working on it. First of all, there's not a lot of information about the Toyo CM455KC filter. It's been a long time, 1969. Heck, you know, we were going to the moon. It was a long time ago. But I found some stuff, and it's really interesting. CM stands for Crystal Mechanical. This guy in Japan, this engineer, a real wizard, figured out that he could combine the characteristics of crystal filters and mechanical filters 
and come up with a 455 KC. I, I haven't seen the graph, and I haven't done. I could drop the graph myself if I wanted to, but I haven't done it yet. But I imagine that it's got really steep skirts, and it's got a nice pass band. Man, I, and, and not only that, it's designed for tubes. It's designed for tube impedances. There, the, the the terminals on it are marked P for plate, uh, and then the other one is B for B plus. So that goes to the to the to the to the first tube. The other one is marked E for earth and G for grid on the next tube, right? So at first I was thinking, oh, I'm going to have to figure out the impedances just like we do with the homebrew ladder filters that we make. But then I said, wait a second. No, no. Obviously, they designed this filter with tube impedances in mind. If it's marked P and B, P for plate and B for B plus, I said, I bet you I could just stick this into any you know, tube amplifier circuit, just the way they described, and it's going to work and it's going to sound good. And sure enough, it did. So, Pete, I, I haven't been on the air that much because I spend, when I'm in the shack, I just reach over, I turn this thing on. It's built on the chassis of a Benton Harbor lunchbox. Oh. Yeah, oh. I did. I sacrificed a Benton Harbor lunchbox. It was a sixer, not a tenner. Um, and I just love this thing. It's three-dimensional. All right. It looks like an old radio set. It's kind of hard to tune, you know, it, and, but when you get that sideband signal in, it sounds really good. It's, it sounds good on AM, even though the passband, I think, is about 2.5, 2.6 KCs wide. If you if, with sideband, if you just you, if you tune to zero beat on the carrier and you listen to it, it sounds fine. Sure. It sounds great. Sure. And and so I'm, I'm I listen. I'm listening on 75. They're just, they're surprisingly civil on that band. I had given up on them. You know, they're depends because on part of the band. <laughs> well, where I'm listening, they sound yeah. relatively free of psychosis. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. <laughs> and um, so I, I've been listening, and and I get a, I, I spend a lot of time listening to this thing. So that's what I've been doing. Oh, and one other thing, I did work on some more on the R2 on the IQ phasing receiver. You know, when you get a receiver going. At first, you're really pleased because it's going. It's great. But then over time, as you listen to it more, you become more critical. You say, wait a second. Does it sound as good as it could sound? It sounds great. But then you start noticing things that you didn't really notice in your first kind of... Euphoria of getting it. Yeah, the enthusiastic reaction to to getting it. And so over time, you start listening. And I'm noticing that there's a lot of hum on this thing. And I'm, I'm thinking, well, okay... With direct conversion receivers, there's a thing called common mode hum. And it's basically where the oscillator energy gets into the power supply, and then you start getting this kind of 60 hertz hum or low frequency AC hum. And there's a lot of ways you can get rid of that. You can filter the power supply leads. Sometimes it helps a lot if you if you just run it off a battery. So I have a gel cell battery here. I ran it off that. That didn't help. So I came to the conclusion that that really wasn't it. There's another source here. You know, there's... there's, there's um, you know, because it's it's using uh, you know the the PLL the SI five fifty three fifty one, and 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 because I've got an LCD display in there, there's a lot of wires, there's a lot of hash being generated by all that digi stuff. You know, there's downside. There's a downside, friend. Filtering, shielding. Yeah. Anyway, shielding. I know. Well, that's sort of what I did. I kind of looked at it and I realized that I had placed the the splitter. There's a coil, a toroidal coil. That when the signal comes in from the antenna, it splits it. It's a signal splitter. 
It sends half the energy one way, half the energy the other way. And it's just a, a, a bifilar toroid. And, but I had placed it kind of close to the digital box with all the digital noise in there. It's kind of close. Plus, it's a coil. Even though it's a toroidal coil, it's still prone to picking it up a little bit. So I, I searched around, and I was looking for alternative circuits. And somebody, somewhere along the line, somebody suggested just do a resistive splitter. Just, okay. So the resistive splitter, there'll be some additional loss. But as far as I can determine, now, here's the important part. When compared to the toroidal bifiller transformer, when you go from that to the, to the purely resistive splitter, I think you add an additional 3 dB of loss. Some guys will come back and say, no, 6 dB. Yeah, it's 6 dB, I think, compared to using no splitter at all and going directly from the antenna in, right? But I think it's an additional 3 dB. And when you're in the receiver game, you start realizing that 3 dB doesn't mean anything. It's, it's across the whole radio that you got to look right. at. And you can make up for it in the audio section, whatever right. have so, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, I mean, I mean 3 dB, if you look at it this way, 3 dB is half an S unit, all right? And so that means if you want to make up for it, you turn the audio gain control like that. I'm moving my hand about <laughs> a little bit, all right? So you can make up for it. But it, 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 it did dramatically reduce the amount of noise. The other thing that was going on, this is kind of an interesting point. We, I had this toroidal coil, the splitter there, and when I was struggling with the uh, radio frequency interference from the AM broadcast transmitter down the road, I had built this, this, this high-pass filter, high-pass filter to knock down everything below 1.7 megahertz. Because I got this transmitter down the road running at 1.6 megahertz in the AM broadcast band. So I built this little like seven section filter and I put it in there and I thought it worked great. But when I looked at the gain of the receiver over wide frequency ranges, like looking at it as you went through 20 meters, as you went through 30 meters, down to 40 meters, I noticed that I was there were big variations in, in signal strength coming through the, the filter all the way into the first set of mixers. And that shouldn't be. I mean, it should be fairly flat, flat all the yeah. way along. And my, my guess was that my filter was good, but because the filter was then feeding into this toroidal inductive splitter, that I might have been getting some weird resonances between the high-pass filter and the coil. And so I figured, okay, if I, if I go to a resistive splitter, it's going to look like, that, that splitter is going to look like 50 ohms. It's a termination to the, right. to the front end filter. It, yeah. Right. And, and it also, it has the effect, and you get this, I mean, Farhan advises doing this, Allison advises doing it. it. To a certain extent, this is the same as putting like a 3 dB pad or a 6 dB pad there. So it, it just makes it, it makes the impedance more constant at a, at a wide range of frequencies. So for those two reasons, to cut down on the, on the noise and to kind of take care of this possible kind of filter reacting, no pun intended, with the toroidal coil, I went with just three little 15-ohm resistors, put them in there, and the thing sounds a lot better. The other thing I did, and I'll just, to, just to close up this part, is that when I built Rick Campbell's receiver, I built it almost completely as he prescribed in his famous QRP article about single signal uh, phasing uh, image reject R2 receiver.
But the one thing I didn't, I kind of got impatient at the end, and I didn't use the final audio amplifier stage that he prescribed. He had taken kind of a low distortion approach and done a very low distortion audio amplifier using two sets of complementary pair audio amplifier transistors. Mm -hmm. And it was really neat, but it looked a little bit more complicated than I am used to at that point in the project. So I, I cheated and went with an LM386. Hey, it was bothering me. It was bothering me. I had most of Rick's low distortion amplifier sitting on the bench. I just hadn't plugged, hadn't put it in. But since I had this R2 open, I used Tim Sutton's box, right? The Tim, the, the box that Tim gave us. Um, I just decided to take out the LM386 and put in the uh, the audio amplifier that that Rick Campbell wanted in there, and it works fine. It's great. So it's kind of cool now. I got the whole thing, the way Rick designed it. So. I've been having fun with that, but that's what I've been doing. I've been playing with receivers. Hey, hey I want to go back a second to the uh, to the front end where you talked about changing the toroid to the resistive. Yeah. You know, uh, cut on the front end. So many times people have a propensity to put high gain RF amplifiers in there. Say, oh yeah, look what I've done to the signal. Well, let, let me tell you, you're you're amplifying the signal and the noise. Right. Okay, so yeah. if you if you don't put the RF amplifier, you won't get as much gain for for a given audio amplifier. But you're not amplifying the noise as you're going through the system. So on the other end, if you compensate for that with audio amplifier, you're going to hear more signals. <laughs> yeah. the, the thing we tend to do is how loud is it in my earphones or how loud is it in the speaker, and that's not necessarily what you want. So that's not this, all bad, this, Bill. But this, this raises a question, and I'm going to ask you this and ask our listeners to help me out with this, because it's something that has been sort of in the back of my mind for a long time. When you look at receivers designed like this, and a lot of the receivers designed by Doug DeMaw and Lou McCoy and, and others, they will do exactly what you said, and they'll try to limit or eliminate the RF amplification ahead of the mixer. All right, so, But they'll usually do this, and they'll say, this is something that you could do especially on 75 and 40 meters, right? But, for example, when I built Doug DeMaw's um, uh, bare-bones superhead, the Barbados superhead, he said that if you are operating on 40 or below, uh, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm hoping that I'm remembering this right, but I think what he said was if you're operating on 40 or below, you probably don't need any additional RF amplification ahead of the mixer. He said, however, if you get up into the higher bands, if you get up onto 20, 15, 10 meters, there, it's probably worthwhile to build an RF amplifier and put it ahead of the mixer. So I find that uh, what I don't really understand is why is it? Why, why is it that you can get away with just running basically the antenna right into the diode ring mixer <laughs> on 40, but if you try to do it on 20, it doesn't really work out that well. Why, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Well, how do you? Why do you? Why do you think that is? Well, I think there's uh, I, there's not a singular answer. Okay, there there's a multiplicity of factors. Just listen to static crashes on 75 and 40 meters, in, especially in yeah. the summertime. Okay. Yeah. You go up in the higher frequency bands, you don't hear uh, you don't hear okay. them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. if you put that. RF amplifier, <laughs> 75 and 40 meters. Guess what? You, yeah. You're you're amplifying that. Um, interestingly enough, I think uh, you you have a gain bandwidth product as you go up higher in frequency. 
Yeah. So what, what's one of the things that you may have is your the the atmospheric noise is certainly an issue. Uh, the other is the signal levels. Signal levels tend to be smaller at the higher frequencies. You know the signal gain levels. You're, you're listening at a longer distance versus the close in. So yeah. you want to so you want to try to uh, amplify those. Um, interestingly enough, the TR Drake TR7 one of the complaints by people who are really picky about it is doesn't have enough gain on the higher bands because the Drake engineers designed it so that they looked at what am I going to handle how am I going to handle the 8040 how am I going to handle the higher frequencies so one of the mods is to high, add a high frequency amplifier for the higher bands on the Drake TR7 so i mean it's a compromise if you're if you're designing something multi-bands across a wide frequency spectrum, I think you have certain design compromises that you make so that there's a balance. But I think yeah. if you're going to higher frequencies, you probably want to put a reasonable gain amplifier. You know, even a, yeah, because even it, a because 6 or six or 10 dB is significant at those frequencies. But it, but it also seems, Pete, that, the, um, that for some reason, all right, here's the problem. Like on this R2, it, one of the beauties of using a direct conversion receiver like this is that it covers a vast frequency range. I mean, you're just the only thing you're changing is the oscillator frequency. Yeah, and you don't have to retune or anything; just up it goes. And um, but but what I notice is that I, when I have it on 40, the signals are booming in. I mean, I I have all the audio gain that I need because all the amplification, all of the amplification is in audio. Everything there there is no RF. There's zero IF. There is no IF. It's zero IF. The IF is audio. So. But, but on 40, no problem. Signals are booming in. As soon as I move that thing up to 20 meters, it's, you, you, could have trouble, you could tell it's having trouble inhaling. It's, the signals are not nearly as strong. Well, ask yourself another question about the LO that you're putting in there. I mean, unfortunately, the AD9850 SI5351 does not provide a constant output over, over no. the total range. So... Yeah. Are you providing the same level of LO signal? I think, I'm not sure, but I think I am. Yeah, yeah, I think well, I you am. need to look at that because yeah. I, I've seen on the AD9850, the power output will go down on the higher bands. And yeah, you say, yeah, yeah. Well, well, why? Well, yeah. it's the LO that you're putting in in that mixer stage. Now, I'll have to check on that. I'll, t I'll take a look. You're right. Because I think when Rick was doing this, he was mostly, when he first designed it, he was designing it on the assumption that people were going to be using you know, standard LC oscillators that he would with a little phasing network put in there. He, he, he mentions in the article of DDS because it was coming more into vogue then. But, uh, yeah. Hey, listen, you mentioned static. I want to, this is something, this is sort of tribal knowledge that I think is kind of fun. And I wonder if you, you've had this experience when you've messed with receivers for as long as we've messed around with receivers, you know, especially well, on a super hat, after you get it done, one of the critical things that you have to do is place the BFO frequency in the right spot relative to the crystal filter passband. Center frequency. Right, right, right. The, yeah, but you know what it is. Yeah. You have the, the, right. the, the passband, and you got to put the, that filter either off the top or off the bottom, and you got to put it in the right spot. If not, you get too many highs. If you go the wrong way, you get too many lows, and it doesn't sound right. So I do that now. I've got the, 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 the Mate for the Mighty Midget receiver here. And it's got the 455KC CM455 Toyo filter in it. And I have this little um, variable inductor that I tune that moves the 455KC BFO 
up and down. Now, one way to do this is to graph out the, uh, the passband for the filter and then just determine from it saying, okay, where's the optimal point for me to place the BFO? And I've done that with the BIDX receivers, all right? With this one, though, I haven't had the time, so I do it by ear. You know, you tune in, you get an SSB signal's coming in kind of strong, and you tune it, you tune around until it sounds really good. And then you're pretty much done. That's fine. You know that you've got it on the right side of the passband, or else you wouldn't be able, or you'd, be, or you'd just be hearing duck talk. But, and then you, you tune it so you think, okay, I'm getting too many highs, I'm too many lows. Now it sounds good. But here's the thing that I noticed, Pete. Even absent a signal, even if there's just static coming in on the band, I can pretty much tune that BFO placement so that the static sounds right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know if you had this yeah. experience, but sometimes if, you're, yeah. if you've tuned it and you've placed the BFO wrong, the static sounds too sharp. Or too dull, right? Yeah, I'm agreeing and with you. I don't know if you've ever had yeah. experience, but sometimes I'm thinking, I'm trying to tune this thing in, and then when I'm doing it, the, the guy I'm listening to stops talking, and then I just continue, and I said, well, no, around here, the static sounds good. <laughs> and and sure enough, that, that corresponds with, I guess it's like, okay, I, I know what the 2B sound, my Drake 2B sounds like when I've got everything lined up properly, right? And so... If I'm listening to the just the static coming out of this little receiver, and if it sounds too sharp or too dull, um, then I know that I've got it placed wrong. There just seems know, to be a like a, there seems to be like a dip. A dip. Not really a dip. Well, um, no, I mean, at least I'm maybe not describing it, but I I can tune it and I'll hear a place and say that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's it. Yeah, yeah that's, it. that's it. That's the place. Well, th way, think I've... about it a minute. You're, you're, if you look at the center frequency of the filter, you're essentially taking half the filter bandwidth and you're putting the carrier either half the filter bandwidth above or half yeah. the filter bandwidth below for upside right. band or side yeah. band. There's yeah. a place in there where even noise, just like a voice signal or a CW signal, well, noise is going to sound right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. it. <laughs> All right. This is, I guess, this is for the advanced course, course yeah, of, yeah. Uh, of tribal knowledge. This has nothing hey, I gotta, to do I gotta, with I gotta, raspberry pies. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm looking at you on the screen, but over right, I'm looking out the window. It's snowing in northern Virginia You're right kidding. now. Kidding? Nah, it's snowing. Yeah, it's snowing pretty well, good what actually. What happened to the 70 degree days? That was yesterday. <laughs> uh, well, it's not good. But anyway, all right. So that's what I've been working on, um, and then. Um, so, I mean, these are kind of little short-term projects, but they're fun. And, and, and I, gosh, I love receivers. Hey, um, let's see. I guess we better move on to other news here. Um, I had a visit. I had a visit on Thursday from a longtime Solder Smoke community member participant. This is um, Jonathan Haynes. Uh, you might know him as J, uh, 7J1AWL. His current call sign is W0OX. I first started talking to Jonathan when he was working in Japan, and he was the guy who tried to get me to pronounce properly the uh, the, the Japanese parts market there in Tokyo. How do you say it, Pete? Akihabara. All right. I gave up. <laughs> Jonathan gave up on me. Um, if it was in Spanish, I could do it. Italian, I could do it. But Japanese is obviously not, not, not up there. But, uh, I get, get, I get, get desuka. 
All right, there you go. God, this guy's a talented person. Who knows? Who knew he spoke hey, Japanese? You know, I have more fun when the telemarketers call. <laughs> I start talking Japanese. <laughs> Arigato. Arigato. All right. Uh, very good. Uh, but anyway, Jonathan and his family were in town, and uh, and he uh, he we 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 missed each other last time he was in Washington. But this time, I said, "Man, we got to get together." So he and his wife and kids were out doing the, the tourism thing, and they, they were kind enough to stop by. And we had, we had lunch together, and I asked him about his rig, and he reached into his bag, and he pulled out the same rig that he was using from the beach near Cameron Bay, wow. Vietnam. He was there on vacation in 2008, and he set up this really cool uh, kind of photo bucket or flicker page. I forget what it is. I have it on the blog, and you could take it. And the cool thing was that when he was on that trip, he was operating as, I think, XV0OC. And uh, he took a picture of his, his son. The, the kid was a baby at the time. The kid's now eight years old. But little Oscar was there wearing uh, a North Vietnamese Army uh, helmet. <laughs> with the Red Star on yeah. it. Gonna freaking, I know he's freaking you yeah, out, Pete. But, uh, but the times have changed. So we, you know. That's uh, ancient history now, but anyway, uh, he right right there over lunch, he pulls out this little Tor- Altoids uh, tin transceiver designed and built by Steve Melt Solder Smith, and that rig I was thinking that rig was in Japan, it was in Vietnam, I I, I read about it from Rome, and now it's back uh, with with Jonathan. I always call him Jonathan San, and he's back in in Minnesota, and it was really great to see him and a beautiful family. Uh, great great bunch of people and we had a good time talking and and i was really glad he got to got to stop by so that was a nice visit what else going on well is it time to talk about scd we've been at this about an hour now so you can't forget scd oh the the shameless commerce division thank you for reminding me um yeah what we the shameless commerce division please you could really help solder smoke and the solder smoke effort by doing all your amazon shopping through the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. There's a little link up in the upper right. Whatever you're you're hoping to buy, hopefully something you know extraordinarily the, the expensive. The new Tesla you can buy on there. The new Tesla. If I, yeah, that's it. That's Thirty thousand dollar Tesla. Sign up for and, it. And we get five percent. Yeah, so yeah. that's that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost Elon Musk anything. It costs Bezos some money. Yeah. So take the money from Bezos and send it to me. Yeah. You'd much rather have me have yeah, it than Bezos. Yeah. Well, right? you gotta buy- By the way, Elon Musk, did you see that rocket land? Did you see no, that I thing? Didn't. Yesterday, SpaceX, Elon Musk's company, did a resupply mission to the International Space Station. Wow. The rocket, the rocket launched from Florida. It went up and made and and then so the rocket goes up and it puts the resupply capsule in orbit for retrieval by the space station then the rocket has done its work it immediately starts coming back down nine minutes after launch from cape canaveral you got to see this video i'll put it up on the blog it's coming down tail first the rockets and the engine is still on Coming down backwards, it's like you're it's like you're watching a rocket launch with the film playing in reverse, and they've got a a platform out in the ocean, bobbing around. It's bobbing in the waves. This rocket comes down, zing. I mean, you want to talk about nail it? Boom! Right there, settles down, locks down. 
The rockets sit there, the smoke clears, this thing has landed on the platform. Nine minutes after launch. So they launch, goes up, delivers the payload to orbit, boom, back down, back on the ground, nine minutes. I mean, fantastic stuff. I mean, it's really, really cool. Isn't it interesting that Musk and Bezos are the two guys now leading the space effort? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. But, well, yeah. Elon, uh, amazing stuff. you got to see this video. Hey, um, but speaking of commerce, this is at, at another end. Uh, uh, Armin, W-A-1-U-Q-O, our good friend from down there in the Richmond area, was up for the Vienna Wireless Winterfest. We almost missed each other. He was bailing out early. I got there a little late. But we, we, we communicated via our smartphones, got together and went through and did the Vienna Wireless Winterfest. And it was fun. It, weather was horrible. It was really bad. And I think that kept a lot of people away from the... Uh, That's the best time the, to go. You get all the bargains. Well, there was a lot of boat anchor stuff there, man. There was this boat anchors a few years ago. They were more kind of in demand. I think they're they've kind of they're kind of beyond their peak now. Um, so there was a lot of stuff there. I wasn't buying any rigs, but I picked up some good stuff. I got an I got an extra copy of Solid State Design for the Radio Amateur. And then right after I bought it, I, Armin showed up, and he had another one for me. And Armand is. He's a man who thinks of his fellow radio amateurs and who thinks about our collective Elmering uh, mandate, our mandate to Elmer. And so he gave this book to me and he said, uh, Bill, if anybody really needs this thing and is, and is worthy, yeah, you know, that's what this is for. He also get, handed me bags, a couple of small bags of um, crystals for uh, 75 meters, two of them for 3.579, but two for elsewhere in the uh, 80 meter band and they'll be suitable for Michigan Mighty Might. So there were a couple people that we had to tell that the, uh, the supplies had been exhausted. One guy, Stefan over in, 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 in Germany, I'm going to send him one. He said he wanted a real 3.579 crystal with mojo. <gasps> this has maximum mojo. I mean, it, yeah. it came from Armand yeah, and yeah. came to me and uh, it was handed off at the, uh, ham fest. At, the, at the, at the ham fest, the ham fest where, a couple of years ago, the actual HW, the actual Tuna Tin 2 that Rex Harper has been entrusted with, the original was there. So there's a lot of mojo oh, scrolling around. Yeah, yeah. So Stefan, you, you'll be given that. And I, I also picked up a big doublet antenna for use with a balanced ATU. It was great to see Armand. What a great guy. We had a lot of fun. And so even though there wasn't a whole lot of people there at the ham fest, it was, uh, it was really good. Hey, we got to move on. We got we, we still have stuff to cover. Yeah, here. I want to talk a little bit about what Eric Four Z One UG has been doing with that QSO Today podcast. I think this is fantastic. He's got recently he he's got a whole bunch of good ones. He's you know he's done so many of them. He does one every Sunday. He's very disciplined. He's not like us, Pete. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's disciplined, <laughs> and. He, he puts one out every Sunday. It's, done, it's always very well done, always comes out right at the same time. And the three that really caught my attention recently were Peter Parker, VK3YE, the, the Wizard of Melbourne Beach, Grayson Evans, over there, the Wizard of Ankara, Turkey, and then, of course, the hero of homebrewers, uh, our friend Farhan, Ashar Farhan there in Hyderabad, India. And Eric did such a great job, and I learned. You know, I didn't know that I know these guys very well for years, but I learned so much about all three of them, and everything I learned was inspirational. I've already talked about how 
Farhan motivated me to get working on the uh, on the um, uh, on the receiver. Um, but um, you know, uh, it's it's been it's really really great stuff, and I, I just you know I I, I I so much enjoyed all three interviews. I mean, there was stuff with Grayson. I really like. Um, well, first with Peter, he talked about how he got started in ham radio. What a great knack story. He talked about going through the dump out there in Western Australia, not Melbourne, but he's in Western Australia as a kid, just sort of scouring the dump looking for radios and radio parts. Grayson talked about his struggles with double E orthodoxy. And you, you're sympathizing, you know. <laughs> and Pete's a double E, so he knows what we're talking yeah. about here. Grayson talked about how he was such an enthusiastic ham radio operator as a kid, and then he just figured, well, the thing to do when he went to college was to, to, to do double E. And he got there, and he felt, I guess, a bit like a, surprisingly, like a fish out of water. And he, he, he was doing things like, and this really made me laugh. He said he, they were telling him in, the, in double E class that current flows from the positive to the negative. Oops. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Well, they, that's what they teach. Yeah. They still teach yeah. that. That's why those arrows yeah. on the transistors and the diodes point in the opposite of the actual negative to positive current flow, right? But he was being told, basically, sit down, shut up, accept it, put it in your notebook. And he, he didn't like that. He also went to the class on uh, electromagnetic waves. And he tells a story about how the teacher said, how many of you guys are hams? And four guys raised, four or five guys raised their hand. And, he, and the teacher said, you're all going to fail and you're going to hate this. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he switched to architecture. It was great to hear his story. And then Farhan. I mean, uh, for me, I, I really wrote, I think this is one of the best ham radio interviews ever conducted. Uh, and his, just his description of his early days in radio, how he got the knack, knew he had the knack, uh, on, on troubleshooting techniques, on the way the Elmers told him that you had to take a systematic approach and figuring out what was wrong with the rig. Uh, I mean, there was every all, everything that Farhan said really just reflected a great, you know, love for the hobby, for the people who helped him along the way, the the the, the kind of the brotherhood, the um, the mutual support, the helping the other guy, overcoming uh, adversity or part scarcity. It was just just fantastic. All through Farhan's comments, he's talking about his admiration for Wes Hayward. Wes is completely homebrew test bench yeah. as sort of a model for Farhan. Uh, EMRFD, I mean, experimental methods in RF design. I mean, just uh, Farhan points out about what a centrally important book that is for all of us. And then I, I really liked Farhan's discussion of his how he designed the Bidex. You know, he did it on an airplane on a flight back to India, I think from Stockholm, using nothing more than paper, pencil, and the, the calculator in his cell phone. And he did it on the airplane flight. And he, he says, and I think he's being modest in this, he said that he just got lucky with the Bidex. I think there's more oh, than luck yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of genius in that in that design. But then he was I was really I really liked how he talked in the interview very candidly about the shortcomings in the minima. And it's it's something that, that you've mentioned and he talked about it, about how they put the, the IF right in the middle, right around twenty megahertz, and and how that caused some problems and that there was some spurious emission problems in the transmitter difficult to overcome but then he talks about how they've kind of moved on to a new rig called the hf1 he also uh talked about his homebrew spectrum analyzer which we you know the spectran i think he calls it 
And it's just uh, it's just fantastic stuff. What a great interview. I'm going to listen to it again. I, but all three, you guys should, should listen to it. Uh, Peter Parker, Grayson Evans, and Nashar Farhan. Thanks very much, Eric Agu4Z1UG uh, uh, at the QSO Today podcast. Just Google them. Great, great stuff. You, and Eric always does a good job. He puts those up that, like uh, those show notes up there. They're yeah. really good. You, you know, the thought across my mind, Eric is capturing kind of the essence of our hobby by all the people that he's talked to. Yep. It would it would be a great book. <laughs> I'm just looking. There's a great book that says, okay, what is amateur radio all about? I mean, you got guys using drones <laughs> to raise antennas. You got guys designing radios uh, on a on the back of a cocktail napkin at, at thirty thousand feet. I mean, what what a tremendous cool. slice! What a tremendous slice of our cool stuff. Yeah, no, really I mean stuff. that 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 book would fly off the shelves because if you ever wanted to see all aspects of the hobby, you got it. And and just I, I think he's at eighty seven. Yeah, I guess tomorrow's 88. Yeah. Every week. Yeah. Speaking of books. Yes. Just to Solder Smoke Mailbag. Yes. Not Wire Wrap Wrap Pie Hole. No. (laughs) Solder Smoke Mailbag. Um, Speaking of books, our friend Paul Darlington, M0XBD, has a new book out. It's called Getting There. Yes. It's about life. And about the Dayton Ham Fest and the connections between life and a trip to the Dayton Ham Fest. I really liked it. I, There's I a, a link to it on the blog. You can get it from Amazon. I think Paul is going to bring a, a number of copies to it to the Dayton Hamvention in four days in May. He's is having right? a book signing. Yeah. One of the places I mean, he visited, I guess, last year, they're having a little small town. They're having a book signing at a bookstore. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I love this book. And it, it's 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 about a lot more than ham radio, and I, I really liked Paul's observations on life in the United States. As he, he and his wife traveled around, they took a long trip, all the way out to Laramie, Wyoming, where he had lived and worked before, and he just makes all kinds of observations about life in these United States, yeah. and you know the good and the bad. I mean, he's very polite, so he, he focuses on the good. But it's always interesting to see and read about the impressions that somebody from outside has about your country. And of course, we're so close to the Brits; they can pick up on things, and they, you know, they're yeah, you know, they're, they're there. They see, they they can see it <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't miss much. Yeah. And so, but it, but but really, a lot of fun. He, you know, there was a message that came in, in that book, and and it has to do with the amateur's code, balance, balance in your yeah, life. Yep. And and he talked about two friends of his who've since passed on, and and he went to their funerals, and and one of them had a lot of people, and another one had hardly anybody, <laughs> and it was what they did in their lives, not not to denigrate or down them, but saying you know you need to expand your horizon behind beyond just one singular hobby. You, you right. need to get involved with your community and other people. And I, I think there's a message there. I, I think really I, I do too. And I think about it sometimes when I listen on, on 75 and frankly, some of these guys are spending too much time in front of the radio, oh, yeah. and everything else. But if, if you're, if you're there and it's, it's, it's resulting in you're not, you know, having contact with family and friends and, and the real balance. non-electromagnetic world—it's it, balance is important. Yes, very good. absolutely. Good point. Glad you worked the amateur code into this. Yeah, yeah. in a very subtle and appropriate way. Hey, uh, we've also been getting messages from Michael AA1TJ, the uh, the poet laureate of QRP and the hero of the Hobbit Hole. Amazing things with QRP rigs 
now this time based on electronic tuning forks, actual tuning forks. <laughs> and then he runs these tuning fork rigs. I mean, it's almost, if it was, if it was April 1st, I think he was pulling my leg, but it wasn't. And he's running them. He's, he's like picking off like the 2000th harmonic, which is on like uh, 80 meters. And then he gets on and he's, he's work. He's making contacts over hundreds of miles with like microwatts. And, but just, I mean, the whole tuning fork thing, I find really amazing. He's got tuning. It's based on an old German design and the tuning fork is, is sitting there mechanically vibrating. And then it, he, you know, it generates harmonics and he picks off the harmonic that he wants, amplifies it. And off they go. He, he's the MacGyver of ham radio. He's it's amazing. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's got his pocket knife and a couple things, and he's on the air. <laughs> there you go. You know, I, I, when, I, when I was thinking about the title for the, the April 1 spoof, Wire Wrap Rap came out, but I was thinking also doing something with just the breadboards because he doesn't solder these, these rigs together. You know, Eric asked him, you know, if he keeps all the rigs during his interview on QSO Today, and he said, well, you know, no, because it's all on the breadboard. It's on those little, little Radio Shack breadboards. And when the project is done, he just plucks all the parts off and yeah. they go back into the box. So his radios are, uh, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. But recycling, recycling, yeah, I mean, yeah. But, and but good thing we have the 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 internet and and the and the blogs and and all the pictures to uh, kind of record them for for history because some of them really are history making. He made the, uh, you know, the the first the tunnel diode QSO, great stuff. Hey, I, I get kind of every once in a while I get email from folks that we haven't heard from before and this is really always always fun because you realize there's a lot of people out there doing the kind of crazy stuff that we talk about and and listening and anyway i got an email from a guy young fella jonathan m0jgh from wimbledon england wimbledon where they have the big tennis match we went there we we went to wimbledon it was fairly close to london we took billy and maria out there to go horseback riding Ooh. When they had those great-looking, you know, British horse riding helmets, looked like they were going on a fox hunt or something. Oh yeah, big, big boots, what they call wellies, Wellingtons. They were wearing wellies, and they got up on the horses and rode through the streets. We got great pictures of Maria, a little girl riding on a huge horse through uh, through the streets of uh, of Wimbledon. So uh, anyway, Jonathan rode in, and he is building tiny rigs. He builds small little rigs. Sometimes he takes the workbench out into his garden and solders out there in the fresh air. Great stuff. Then he takes these little rigs and he sticks them in his pocket. And he and his girlfriend go off to these beautiful hills near Frascati in India, in, in Italy. And they're, they're, stand, they're out there on the hill, beautiful afternoon. And he reaches into his pocket and pulls out not a flower, not, not a bottle of wine, but... A 40-meter CW transceiver. He's not Italian. There was another day. What a good-looking woman. No, <laughs> a lot of different than radio. Second, you know, my, my thing is, the girlfriend is okay with it. <laughs> She's not Italian. <laughs> Jonathan, marry this girl. She's a keeper. I mean, this is this is a sign, Pete, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if she's, if she's okay with that, I think that your path is clear here, my friend. Yeah. Anyway, great hearing from you. Jonathan sent some good pictures, too. And, and a real, he, he also talked about how he was having communications problems with some, some, some suspicious Italian neighbors. And he, he was trying to explain to them what he was doing with the antennas. And, and, it, and he, he had this, came up with this really kind of, don't worry, don't worry, madam. 
I am from the United Kingdom, and I'm here with a small radio transmitter that I'm using to communicate with people in foreign countries. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to worry about. Don't worry about it. <laughs> anyway, thank, good to hear from Jonathan. Thanks to everybody who wrote in with uh, suggestions on where I could find the schematic of the Palomar 500 SWR meter. Duh, I don't know why my the, my Google didn't work for me the way it worked for you guys, but uh, uh, thanks for the guidance. I have the, the manual. One of these days, I'm going to fix that thing. Uh, ben, KC9DLM. I just have notes here. It says Ben, KC9DLM, J-O-O-M-M-M. J-O-O. Oscillation, Michigan Mighty Mighty. There you go. You got it. That's yeah. it. Another member. Congratulations, Ben. Thanks for sending us the report. And then I, I've already mentioned Stefan, DL1FDF. He built a 40-meter version of the uh, of the Michigan Mighty Might. Actually put it on the air and worked Venice, Italy. Uh, but he wants the 3.579 megahertz rock. He wants it marked with the solder smoke symbol and imbued with mojo. All right, thanks to uh, Armand, who gave me the, the, the rock, especially for occasions like this. Stand by uh, for Mojo, Stefan. Brace yourself, OM. It's coming. Finally, uh, Jan, I mentioned him before, PA3 GSV, another kind of below-the-radar home brewer in the Netherlands. Uh, very kind of modest, not bragging, but, man, you got to see this guy's shack. He's a relatively new ham. He's still trying to learn CW. But, and he has built a collection of transmitters and receivers in these beautiful wooden boxes. It's all very Dutch. It's all very clean and neat and well thought out, well designed. I have a, a link to it on the, on the blog. He wrote to me because he's kind of struggling with the same uh, crystal filter problems at 455KC that I have, that I had with my, my little simple receiver. He has built a, a transmitter, a CW transmitter, and he's trying to build a companion tube-type receiver. But um, really, really great stuff and inspirational to see, uh, like I said, relatively new hams out there doing great stuff. Pete, we're in overtime. What else you got? Nothing much. Just plugging along here. Better weather is coming. Uh, we've had two days of rain. That's what I call better weather. We've had two days of rain. <laughs> hey, it's... It stops snowing. Oh, that's good. <laughs> there you go. Hey, there you go. Winter's hey, over. No, wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Well, you got Monday off. I was just uh, thinking, you know, you could be snowed in and have to take a snow day on Monday. <laughs> you know, get the bench out. <laughs> no, I, I think we'll be all right. Pete Giuliano, thanks very much for joining us for you yet another me. episode of Wire Wrap. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> 186. <laughs> 186. You know, I, I should tell our podcast listeners that Bill and I were discussing whether this was 186 or 187. And I said, you know, we should call it 187. And then people would wonder what happened to 186. <laughs> That'd be rubbing it in. That'd be rubbing it there in. There you go. Thanks to everybody who participated in the April 1 festivities. You know, it's one of my favorite holidays. Oh, now. yeah, absolutely. Along with Pi Day. Yes. You know, March 14th, 314. Uh, I'm also fond of Halloween, not because of the, the, the masquerade stuff. It's just uh, the kids coming around trick-or-treating is always fun. And uh, straight key night. Yeah. So this is, this is this is the ham radio calendar. Piece. Yeah, I just, just to share a small personal story with you. My daughter's birthday is April 3rd. And uh, as it turned out, uh, just about the time she was be, to be born, my wife was overdue. And she saw the doctor 
the day before April Fool's Day. And he said, man, he said, we can't let this go on. He says, you, you, you're going to have to, we're going to have to induce labor. He said, it's just no good to go beyond nine months. So Saturday morning, the phone rings and he says, look, I'm at the hospital. Come on over. We'll get that baby today. <laughs> I looked at the calendar and she said, it's April Fool's Day. We're not coming. <laughs> he said, well, he said, I got to see you on Monday. So she goes to the doctor on Monday and and she calls me from the doctor's office. She says, he doesn't think I'm going to make it <laughs> to the hospital. <laughs> and it was right next door. She said, I'll see you there. So our daughter was born on April 3rd. And and the labor was like about an hour and a half. I mean, this was, thing was fast. So he said, you know, he said, I kept telling you. <laughs> it was time. She said, I keep telling you, no April 1st. So uh, I, I always <laughs> laugh about that, you know. So that, April 1st has a special meaning to me. It's 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 a wonderful holiday. Oh yeah, really, yeah, absolutely. Put your thinking cap on, <laughs> Pete. There's only there's only about 360 days, 350 days to yeah, go. Yeah, you bet. Well, seven threes from the left coast, Bill. Seven threes from snowy northern, northern Virginia. Virginia. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thanks very much, Pete. Bye bye. Bye. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!